Um, hello, welcome to today's episode of uh, Juicing the Big Screen, your movies review and discussion podcast. I am your host, or one of your critics, Joshua Tracy. And I'm just some fucking guy still, Corwin Heller. Uh, so... We did not record an episode last week. We uh, had some like scheduling issues and whatever. So what we're going to do for this week is uh, last week's Oscars choice was Mank. So we're going to keep that pod- that uh, film to talk about today. And then to ensure that we don't fall behind, since the Oscar nominations came out uh, the, this morning that we're recording this, yesterday as you're listening to this that came out Monday, uh, March 15th, uh, we picked another film to uh, supplant The Seventh Seal so that we could get both of our Oscars picks in for each week and keep the train moving forward, which thank God we did, um, because we are going to be in a race to get these done, which I'm very much looking forward to. So, today's podcast, since we didn't get a chance to say it last week, will be about Mank and about One Night in Miami. Um, as you could probably tell if you're listening to this by the fucking title, but regardless. Um, that being said, before we actually get into the movies, as I just said, uh, Oscar nominations came out. Woo! This is, uh, this is the day we've been waiting for. Um, so it, it's, it's, one, very reassuring to our schedules. <laughs> That we're not wasting Amen. our time picking movies that aren't going to be nominated. Um, but it's also cool getting to see some of the stuff that we had predicted come true. And seeing some things that, uh, to be honest, I wouldn't have expected. Um, Corwin, was there anything that stuck out to you about the nominations? Um, yeah, it's weird not seeing Tenant get really any major nominations. Not um, for me. <laughs> yeah, well, you're bad. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it was definitely one of my favorites. Spoiler alert! It's it's you know one of my favorite movies of the year so far. I, you know, I was just talking to Josh before the show. I've now seen uh, eleven of them, eleven of the twenty-one or so, twenty-two or so that um, we considered major releases this year. So you know, it's it's solidly in my top three. And it not even to get an editing or cinematography or screenplay. Eh, it's weird, especially considering how weak of a, a year this is for films. Um, so I'm surprised about that. Um, I was extremely pleasantly surprised. God, I, I don't know if that sounded great, but we're going to roll with it. I was pleasantly surprised to see Nomadland get uh, six nominations. Um, you know, the most of any of these major films. I mean, Mank and Minari each got five, along with Promising Young Woman, The Father, and The Sound of Metal. I was also very happy to see The Sound of Metal get uh, five nominations. And then uh, I forgot Trial of Chicago 7, that also got five, but I don't really care about that one at all. Yeah, that one is more frustrating that it got so many. It, mm-hmm. We said it would get all of these nominations, and it still sucks that it, they actually did. Um Real quick, Tenet did get two Oscar nominations uh, for Best of Achievement in Visual Effects and Best Achievement in Production Design, which are things Corwin and I basically kind of said were likely to happen with the more technical awards. Um, not a huge surprise there. Um, and then, yeah. Also not very, not not considered major nominations. No, definitely. They're not 
not your average person isn't going to have any opinion on either of those things. Um, Can you tell me any winner of best production design? No, I literally cannot. I can't either. I can't either. Um, yeah. So take that for whatever it is. Um. Yeah, there's definitely a lot to be happy about. I'm I'm so happy to see uh, Riz Ahmed get um, the nomination for best lead actor. It had been predicted that he would, but just because there's some things that the Academy should do doesn't mean that there's those things are the things the academy will do so it was uh it was nice to get that kind of reassurance the best lead actor category as a whole is actually pretty exciting this year and i'm really looking forward to it um weird things though if... sorry go ahead, go ahead. No, no 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 go go i have yet to see ma rainey's black bottom so i cannot i've actually not seen most of the nominations for best lead act no i've seen most not all of them uh do you think Chadwick Boseman is just the runaway favorite right now as a posthumous Oscar winner? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. I agree, having never seen the movie, but I am. I would be willing to put some money down and gamble away 20 bucks just assuming that the Academy is just going to give it to him as, a, as an honorary thing. Yeah, I, I would as well. And... If it was younger Josh, this was Josh of like five years ago, I would be very annoyed about it um, because younger Josh really disliked giving people awards for reasons other than, you know, whatever their contribution was to the film as a whole. But Oscars are uh, nothing more than pieces, bits of recognition. I mean that's really what it is. It, it is it is a it is a the ultimate piece of recognition, but still just recognition um, from your employer, basically, or a, a a loose concept of a body that oversees the arts, and um, doesn't need to be so rigid. And Chadwick Boseman certainly had large contributions to the arts over his entire career. Um, so if he ends up taking this award on the back of a good but not best of the five performance, I'm not sure I care. Um, if anything, it's it's it'll be a good way to honor one of his final roles. So I, I mean, hey, I'm looking forward to seeing the movie, but I'm, I'm I'm not sure I give a shit about this category because so far, all of these actors have done a phenomenal job of the films that I've seen. So right. I'm excited. Yes, um, I am as well. So one of the one of the the um in weird parts about this nomination cycle is or these specific nominations is the lack of Delroy Lindo. Um you might recall Delroy Lindo was the uh one of the supporting actors, one of the main five guys in the film The Five Bloods by Spike Lee that came out early this year oh, and I talked about it. Um, that's why they named it that. Yes. Um, Corn and I talked about it back when it came out, well before the Oscar nominations, which is why we haven't watched it recently as a part of the other Oscar nominations, because we'd already seen it and you can go listen to our episode on it. Um, And it is interesting that he didn't get nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And I think one of the reasons it's interesting is because of the way they set up the Supporting Actor category. Um, Because they have... 
Daniel Kaluuya as a supporting actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. And they nominated Lakeith Stanfield for Best Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. And while I'm super jazzed that Lakeith Stanfield is getting his first Oscar nomination, love the guy, he picks such great roles, and he's a great actor. Um, who the fuck is the lead of that goddamn movie, then? Because uh, Lakeith Stanfield has been getting a build as the lead actor in all the other nomination or all the other awards that have happened thus far. Which would make sense because the name of the fucking movie is Judas and the Black Messiah. So, Lakeith Stanfield being Judas, Daniel Kaluuya being the Black Messiah. That seems to make uh, sense. If they they're both the, the supporting actor, who the fuck are they supporting? J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar. It's, um, it's ridiculous. In and, all seriousness, I kind of can see that they're just trying to say okay they're both these two pillars in this film the way it's structured they're both supporting each other like a lean to at the same time i think that's a really shitty explanation um and if there's any consider if there's any consideration i think it may be a way to allow both of them to contend for an Oscar so that neither of them have to go up against a Chadwick Boseman posthumous almost certain award. Uh, I, I think you're close because apparently um, the studio had been submitting Lakeith Stanfield as lead actor in all the other awards but submitted him as supporting actor because the studio decides what awards they try to submit um they submit four to be to be rec- possibly recognized for um and apparently this is all just some oscars politicking with the fact that they didn't think lakeith stanfield would have had a shot at winning the lead actor category like kind of like you said and so they just put him in supporting thinking that he might have actually had a chance there and i mean i guess they're right since he got a nomination but it seems like the worst possible way for that to happen um, because it's led to the, well, who the fuck is the lead of this movie conversation that I had already just mentioned. Uh, and also it, it leads to snubs because now Delroy Lindo is likely who I would have imagined would be that guy. Um, his performance has been talked about in that capacity since that fucking movie came out almost a year ago. Um, it, it and now he gets nothing, and that that film, uh, *The Five Bloods*, which you know I don't, I don't think Corwin nor I, if I recall back to our conversation, thought was um, Spike Lee's best work, but certainly by, far from being his his worst. It's still a, mm-hmm. a, a good movie. Walks away with but one Oscar nomination for um, score, and. Is it a huge pitfall? No, but at this because the, I think the Academy actually got a lot right this year for a change. Um, but it is still just fucking weird. Yeah, and I mean, has there ever been an Academy Awards that you remember where something weird like this hasn't happened? I feel like it's always something. I don't know if it's people looking for storylines or the academy trying to force storylines or just the academy being so 
fucking pretentious and up its own asshole that it does this kind of shit and thinks it's totally normal and fine, but it it's weird, man. It's weird how there's always something. It feels like a failing of the system because cause that's what threw me off about it is I so when Get Out came out, the Jordan Peele movie from 2017, mm-hmm. um, there was something made of the fact that um, people thought Lil Rel Howery might get a Best Supporting Actor nomination for, I think, the Globes, if not the Oscars, one of the two. And apparently he wasn't allowed to be nominated for it because he shared his title card in the film, shared um, space with another name. And in order to be considered, you have to have your own title card. It was something really, really specific and weird, if I recall correctly. Um, and so I would have figured that there would be more. That's the most fucking absurd thing I've ever fucked. I'm sorry, but that is just so fucking absurd. Right? <laughs> no, it, it, it totally is. But I would have assumed that like there'd be those types of standards as weird and specific as they may be, but still for how you can classify actors in different categories. Like, you know, Anthony Hopkins, who's nominated for best lead actor this year, famously won best lead actor for the film, um, sounds of the lambs, even though he has, I think 16 minutes of cumulative screen time. And, you know, people point at that and they go, well, that's fucking weird. Um, but you could argue that it was a significant role. So you, maybe you, you, you have some level of understanding of how the film and how the roles are viewed being applicable and not just, ah, we submitted for this shit, so nominate us for this shit, which I guess is just how it is. But that seems like a bad system. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Most of what makes the Academy Awards the Academy Awards is a broken, bad system. But here we are, and we prop these things up like it's, it's. Well, I was gonna say gold, but they are literally gold, so it makes it true. Yeah. Um, I think we are both universally sad about how many nominations Trial of the Chicago Seven got, but we'll talk about that more when we talk about the full scope of the Oscars. It should have gotten more. I hate it. Um, and uh. As a, a, a brief note, um, apparently Glenn Close, who is nominated for Hillbilly Elegy, <laughs> also got nominated for a Razzie for Hillbilly Elegy. And now I'm actually kind of excited to watch Hillbilly Elegy. It's the first time that has ever happened. It's the third. Really? The tweet that I saw was that it was the first. No, it's the third. The other times were in, in 1984 and 1982, I believe. Okay, so during my lifetime, it's the first. So that's all that matters because I don't have a definitive way to prove that reality existed before I was born. So I refuse to acknowledge it. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a that's question my roommate used to ask me back in college all the fucking time. and It, it was weird then. It's even weirder now. But hey, whatever. Holy shit. Sorry. I just looked up Hillbilly Elegy on um, IMDb, which I never look up movies on IMDb before I watch them. Um, it has a Metacritic score of 38. Ooh. That's fucking bad. Yeah. All right. I'm immediately less excited to watch this movie now. 
I'm honestly more excited. Based off of like every piece of content I've seen about it, I've laughed at how ridiculous it looks. And now I know it will be that ridiculous. So I'm just here for the ride. Yeah, I haven't seen anything about it, so... Um, well, yeah, speaking no of possible firsts, Steven Yoon is the first Asian-American actor to be nominated for Best Actor. And I fucking love that. Hey, alright. Way to go, Steve. Yep. Yeah, um, Steve. I think it, that that's really... Um, for one, awesome. Don't want to go without saying that. It's also a sign that, or um, a result of more roles being made in general for Asian American lead actors and actresses. Because that was one of the things about the dearth of Asian American acting nominations is that there just weren't roles to nominate. Which is a different failing of the same system, but it makes it hard for you to issue a nomination towards a group of people that just aren't even getting the recognition of having fucking roles in the first place in major motion picture productions, not just foreign productions. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that um, we have, like, you know, there's been a there's been a, a very large amount of um, Asian American led vehicles recently, and I think that this is a uh, this 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 is the result of that work, which which is really really nice to see. Uh, anyway. Wow, Riz Ahmed from uh, The Sound of Metal is also the first Muslim Best Actor nom- nominee. Yes, he is. What the fuck is going on this year? Progress like is, but like, how the fuck has this been a thing for so long? Um. Again, it's it's quite a rhetorical question, but it's one that I don't like the answer to, so I don't... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, Last point is that we were anticipating getting nine nominations for Best Picture this season, and we did not. We only got eight. Um, The uh, Academy uses ranked choice voting, if I recall correctly, um, and you... The films, in order to get nominated to the categories, need to have a certain percentage of the overall Academy vote. And I'm assuming that there was such an influx of votes towards certain films. I don't know which ones, but just one of the several of the eight that got nominated that the, there was no ninth film that crossed over the minimum percentage threshold. Uh, for anyone who listens to our sports podcast, basically the way um, baseball does MVP voting or Hall of Fame voting. Um, Probably more like, uh, yeah, they kind of mash those two together. Um, is and how, how the U.S. Academy should do, this. and how the U.S. should do actual voting. That would be lovely, but we are not getting there. Be. Um, so, um, it doesn't matter. It's interesting. I'm not sure what that eighth movie would have been. Um, Tenant. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Never makes you feel better, buddy. Done. Uh, Deal. But, yeah, so that is that's the our I guess our immediate reaction to the nominations. There's a bunch of other stuff that I am really looking forward to talking about, but I'm also uh Corn and I are going to save the more full conversation for when we have uh all these films under our belt and can have a full conversation having seen all the films nominated towards the major categories that we anticipate actually getting to. Um 
as a reminder or as a first time, um, I guess, stating um, what the films that we're actually, what the categories that we're actually going to be paying attention to are, we'll be most looking at heading into Oscar season, best picture, best actor, best actress, best supporting actor, best supporting actress, best director, best adapted screenplay, best original screenplay, best cinematography, and best film editing. Those are the categories that we have picked as the ones we're going to be paying the most attention to. Um, so, Corwin, anything else before we get started? Nope, let's get going. Get going, words. All right. Um, where do you want to start? You want to start with Mank or do you want to start with One Night in Miami? Uh, let's start with One Night in Miami because it's fresh. All right. Uh, I, actually, I feel the same. So, One Night in Miami technically debuted in 2020. Uh, it was directed by Regina King, written by Kemp Powers, who wrote both the stage play and then adapted his own stage play into this screenplay. Um, it stars Kingsley Ben Adir, Eli Gorey, and Aldous Hodges. Um, or Hodge, sorry, which is funny because uh, Leslie Odom Jr. is also in this, but I guess didn't get billed high enough, even though he is one of the three Oscar nominations for this film. Um, another famous face that is uh, that you'll, you'll get to see in this film, you get to see Bo Bridges and Lance Reddick. Just wanted to shout those two dudes out, um, especially Lance Reddick. Love Lance Reddick. Um, I have nothing in terms of estimated budget nor box office. Actually, no. I have a $16.9 million estimated budget. I have no box office. This was an Amazon Prime release. Um, so, I, I once again, as we've said so What, like $170 billion? Year, or, for accounting purposes, $2. Um, so, they can claim the losses. Yeah. I've got no fucking clue. Um, that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Guess pick whatever your favorite number is. That's how much this movie grows. That's that's about how much it matters and how much I care. Dollars. <laughs> um, okay. slap a few zeros onto the end of it. Uh, there you go. Well, that's how much I I think we pay for Netflix a month. So that makes sense. I'm the only one who's seen it. It's on Fair Amazon enough. Prime. That's not a good joke. That's on Amazon Prime. I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I've I looked it up on Netflix multiple times trying to find it and had to switch over to Amazon Prime every time. That's the problem Whatever. with all these um, uh, services is that my default brain um, puts them all in either Hulu or Netflix, and then I have to like actively remind myself that not every movie streaming in the world is on either Hulu or Netflix. My go-to um, is Netflix and HBO. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, pivoting back. This film has three nominations, as it stands today. Well, it's only going to get three nominations. They're not going to do more. Um, at the Academy Awards, it is nominated for Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role for Leslie Odom Jr., Best Adapted Screenplay for Kemp Powers, and Best Achievement in Music, written for Motion Pictures' original song for Leslie Odom Jr. and Sam Ashworth for the song Speak Now, which is the song that plays during the end credits. Um, this film is about a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gather to discuss their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 1960s. Um, actually, I don't know whose pick this was. We'll call this my pick, because I think Mank was your pick. Um, that sounds about right. So just so that we have a, a continuity in order, I'll go first on this. Uh, I was really excited about this film. These are four people I really like. Um, and these are also four people 
well, to differing extents that have a lot of uh, other material about them available. Um, you know, I grew up with the film Malcolm X having been made before I was alive or right, right, right on the border of when I was born. So um, I've seen Malcolm X. I remember when the film Ali came out starring Will Smith about Muhammad Ali. I've seen that movie. I grew up listening to Sam Cooke music and I've seen, I've absorbed a bunch of Sam Cooke documentaries. I'm a fan of, I'm a big fan of Sam Cooke. I have um, two different soul stirrers albums and grew up a football fan. And Jim Brown is one of the, legends of football. So these are four dudes that I personally have some connection to um, in some, you know, historical or fan of type of way. Um, and I was, I was really looking forward to seeing how they intertwine. Cause I didn't know that these people outside of the Ali Malcolm X one, uh, I didn't know that these people knew each other fucking at all. So this was, I was really looking forward to seeing what this conversation was going to be like, what, what they were going to do with this stripped down concept of conversation. I didn't realize this was based on a play um, until actually after I finished watching it. But as you're watching it, it becomes kind of evident that it was based on a play. And I, I, I got to say this, this wasn't a favorite movie for me. I, uh, I was disappointed, um, which hurts. And I really resisted feeling that way for as long as I could in the, in the movie. Um, but it's one of the, I didn't take a lot of notes on this. One of the only notes I have is I don't know if this movie is interesting. If you don't know who these people are, because I realized at a certain point in the film that the only reason I think I, Josh am still willing to see where this goes and maintain some level of excitement is because I know I know these guys, or I know something about them. I I felt some level of connection to them pro- before this movie started, and I'm not sure I got any additional level of connection after it started. And it takes so long to really get into I think the meat of the conversation that I'm not sure if you don't like these people or know something about them, it's going to keep you. And even with the like and know of these people that I have, it really didn't keep me. Um, which is really disappointing. Um, because I was, I was so looking forward to what this film was going to present. And I think there's great ideas and concepts brought about in there. Um, I have some gripes with not like it. I don't want to make it sound like it's anything overly dramatic, but I, I, wasn't a huge fan of some of the choices made um, by Regina King, which also I hate saying because I love Regina King, um, though I do think, largely speaking, in a grander sense, this was a, a very good debut for her um, as a director. But it it just didn't it didn't connect for me. Uh, Corwin, how about you? I just found it so incredibly boring. Oh, uh, like... I don't think I was genuinely invested in this until about two-thirds of the way through the movie when tensions finally reached a boiling point between Malcolm X and, I guess it was Sam Cooke, that uh, took the brunt of it. Um, I had to look up who Sam Cooke was because I was I, I had no 
familiarity with him whatsoever. Why would I know who that? Why would I know who that is if I've never listened to that genre of music? Well, that's why I'm surprised, Corwin, that you've never listened to one of the first big black pop stars, uh, one of the first big soul music stars, and the biggest gospel star at the time. I'm sorry that the things that I grew up listening to were different from the things you grew up listening to, but unless someone was there to introduce it to me, then... I'm just saying I'm surprised. Like, to me... Because of the music I grew up with. That's like saying you've never listened to Ray Charles. I've never listened to Ray Charles. <laughs> what? Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I all know right. who Ray I, Charles is. I have adjusted. By all means. I've, I've, I'm, I'm acclimating. Go ahead. Okay. Again, that's not a criticism uh, of you. Sorry. I didn't mean for that to sound like judgmental. He says to the greater public while internally Josh is fucking putting me on a list somewhere. Um, I will say... It, it really just never hit a tone. Like you saying that this doesn't dr- bring you into these characters at all if you don't already have that predisposition of who they are and you know who they are in society and pop culture and their standing completely hits the nail on the head. You know, they don't talk about who Malcolm X is in reality, they talk about who Muhammad Ali is and Cassius Clay is in reality, because that's the whole premise of how this night came to be. They talk about somewhat uh, to the extent of who Sam Cooke was. They mention some accolades of Jim Brown, but, you know, the things they say, they, they, they drop in passing. They don't really come close to giving any context to the marquee names that are in this hotel room at night at this night and without that context without knowing who these guys are i don't care about any of these guys in any way like the fact of the matter is if this was a room with muhammad ali and malcolm x okay if this is a movie with malcolm x and sam cook sure there really was there any reason for all of them to be there together like what other than the premise of you know this is uh based on you know an actual night or based on all their friendship whatever you know what does jim brown really add to this movie you know other than the setting of this night what is i just i don't get it i don't get what this movie built itself on you know, it's no, I, just... I agree fully. And especially with the Jim Brown point, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like this really bothered me Please. is that Jim Brown was definitely, I think, you know, there to be cool. And he certainly was cool. He was the most level headed dude. Uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's Jim fucking Brown. And, and I think the, the, the guy who played him, uh, Aldous Hodge did a great job. But at the end of it, like this is a this is a film about conversations around race. Jim Brown really didn't the character Jim Brown didn't fucking contribute nearly at all, um, which was startling, especially coming off of the way we're introduced to him with the racism of Bo Bridges's character uh, being so jarring in the beginning. To then, and Jim Brown drops some some lines here and there that have to do with it. You know, he mentioned or someone I think maybe. Um, 
No, actually, that was in reference to to Sam Cooke. Was someone someone somewhere in the film said, you know, never forget who the white people are. You know, like um, you got to separate them uh, in terms of how you you think about them. You know, perform for them, be all happy for them, but don't think that they because they like your performance, they like you, and some stuff like that. But I actually thinking back that. I think that was about Sam Cooke, not about Jim Brown. So I really don't know what the character of Jim Brown contributes to this film as a whole. It's weird. It's a, it's, it's a very weird bit. Uh, honestly, I feel like it just had to be balance where, if, you know, Malcolm X has confrontations with Sam Cooke. He has confrontations with uh, Cassius Clay. I don't think this would be a balanced movie if... He was just fighting with both of the other people the entirety of the time. And I think the only reason to have him there to begin with is just to balance out those emotions and, and kind of anchor, have someone well, to hold them, hold them life. back. So I do get that. Right. But at the same so time, for, it's, actually, it's, it's real quick. Cause that's yeah. a good point. This film is based on uh, a, an evening that did happen um, after the Sonny Liston fight. Sam Cooke, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown all did get together and hang out for a night in Miami. That right. is true. Everything conversationally that happens, all the actual details of the film entirely are all made up. But they did all get together. Right. So that is the beginning and end of the truth of this. Um, so that, because that's, that. that that feels like the only reason Jim Brown's in this movie was because he was there. Sure. It, it, it's no matter how we, you know, contextualize it or how we rationalize it, it doesn't really make it any better. No. So yeah, I guess I just, I, I don't have, I, I did notice a continuity error uh, right at the end. Uh, they cut between shots where Malcolm X did and did not have a tie clip. So zero out of five would not watch again. Um, but in all seriousness, I just I I don't think I care much about this movie. Like it had some good conversations, they made some good points. Nothing in this movie affected how I viewed their situation, their time period, or their struggles. And nothing in this movie changed the way the I view the outlook on present day struggles. This movie just at the end of the day was two hours of nothing like it it did not impact me in any way and i know yeah, that I, will be different for everyone but me reviewing this movie for myself and my own opinions did nothing for me i think it i think it's a very flat movie um and i'll use one of my small gripes with um the direction of it to illustrate that point mm -hmm. The the fight between Sonny Liston and Muhammad Ali at the beginning is really weird. And for me, it was really weird because there was no score. It was dead fucking silent the whole time. And when Muhammad Ali ends up winning, and everyone, you know, spoiler alerts <laughs> to 1964, um, and when Muhammad Ali ends up winning the fight and everyone's like kind of like, you know, jumping up and down in the ring... I, I was I was sitting there like I didn't I didn't get excited. And Muhammad Ali is one of my favorite athletes of all time, and this is one of the most famous fights of all time. And I like didn't give a shit. And 
it's one because I, I and I'm not a guy who notices score very frequently. Which I, it just doesn't usually cross mm-hmm. my mind, and I couldn't help but think of how fucking quiet it was, and how anticlimactic it really made that moment feel, which I think is such a disservice to the moment because it really predicates the high and the intense feeling going into the evening that these four guys end up sharing. You know, everyone walks into that room, obviously carrying the burdens that they get shown in the, we get shown in the vignettes in the beginning, but also riding the excitement of Ali winning. And honestly, the second they leave the ring in terms of the, the, the you know, the scene immediately following after they leave the ring, uh, I immediately lost all excitement for that moment. It was immediately gone for me. Um, and again, you know, like you said, that that might just be me, and that that that's fine. But it's it was awkward, and I found a lot of moments like this in this film to be awkward because because a lot of the conversations they were having, they just kind of left and waded in and out of. And I mean, maybe it works better on the stage. But the only conversation I remember, I just watched this shit like last fucking night. The only conversation I remember really was the argument between Malcolm and Sam Cooke about um, Sam Cooke's music and Sam Cooke arguing in favor of what he was doing in the industry um, and all that shit. And and uh, the conversation they had with the younger guy in the Nation of Islam where he was, you know, talking about how great it was to be in the nation of islam um those are the only two conversations i really remember that and their joke about vanilla ice cream they talked about vanilla ice cream a lot like it it was a noticeable amount of just like what uh, really like this is something we're really gonna talk like it it really wasn't a big deal i don't want to make it up to be something like that matters really in any way just I noticed a lot of ice cream talk in this movie for no apparent reason. There was a lot of ice cream talk. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to make, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I guess really the last note that, you know, is kind of touching on what we already mentioned with this only really mattering because of who it is. What is driving the plot forward other than, What's driving our attention span forward other than having these characters? I know that's exactly what you had mentioned, why the only reason you kept watching the movie was because you wanted to see how these guys, these famous you know, superstars, all came together in the end. Is there actually anything else driving it forward? No, and I because... think that's my other big gripe with the film, is that I'd rather... I think this movie was way too quiet. They kept... It's like it was afraid of getting loud, except for that scene on the rooftop and a few other small moments. Because, like, when Leslie Odom or uh, Sam Cooke and Muhammad Ali go to the liquor store, like, the mm-hmm. whole momentum that the film had been building just dies right there. Yeah. Because, it, it, you know, it, it edges off the intensity, which, again, might have worked differently in a stage production where I'm assuming at that point there's more dialogue that they had to cut out because... I'm assuming the stage production of this would have been two and a half hours in of its own right, and obviously not including the beginning and end scenes, um, since I would imagine this is a single set production. 
that's my imagination. Um, although I actually can speak for certain that the vignettes at the beginning are not in the, the stage production. But regardless, so it, it might have made more sense in that context, but at, in the film, I don't get the reason for backing off. Because the only thing this movie really has is emotional drive. And so when, when they were bored sitting in the hotel room, I was bored watching them sitting in a hotel room. Yeah, absolutely. Like Muhammad Ali is bop, bopping up and down on the bed, and Jim Brown's like, you got a lot of energy. Or you look like a big baby. And Muhammad Ali's like, I have a lot of energy. I have nothing to do. And I'm sitting there watching like, yeah, I'm bored too, man. This is, why am I watching a guy be bored? because we have to watch it for the podcast oh also actually one other weird note i had did you think at some point they were going to make something out of the bathroom like no. it was bugged or something because they kept doing really dramatic shots to the mirror in the bathroom i don't think so i, I kel and i both kept waiting for them for them to find like a camera or a microphone or something like it was bugged by the fbi or some shit uh, yeah, I can say I thought about the bathroom much, if at all. Anyway. So, uh, does, <laughs> did that answer your question? <laughs> uh, to an extent, yeah. But no, I totally get it. I was also very, very bored. So, I want to ask you a question then, because the the thing that seemed... And I, I, this is probably the last thing I really have to say. Uh, no, it's not. I have one other thing. Um, the thing, the other thing about this that kind of bothered me, and I, well, not not bothered me, but I, I I couldn't help but wonder: Did there need to be arguments between the guys? Because uh, this yeah. film, I think, also would have worked just as a dialogue. And where you, you know, there can still be anger, anger at the system, anger at what Malcolm's going through, anger at what Sam Cooke is going through, anger at whatever, you know, the, the racism prevalent throughout society. It wouldn't have detracted at all from that because all the points that the film was trying to make, I think, would still be made even if the film wasn't taking place as arguments where they were, you know, being pitted against each other in some weird way that I also didn't find super effective. Um, because I think part of the idea of it is they're all fighting on the same side of it. So why pick sides within that fight? You know, I, why, why should we have to look at Sam cook and say that Malcolm was right? He was wrong. He was, he was doing the thing incorrectly or, or vice versa. Uh, at any point during the film, even if it's just fleeting moments where you try to assess, you know, all right, they're both right and, and it's not black and white or they're both wrong because they're both doing the right thing and whatever. Um, like, we're, So my question to you is, were you compelled by the budding-headed nature of this? By the fighting? Not at all. I think it all just really comes down to, to ego. And that's really it. I mean, there's no other reason for them to be fighting. Is there? I mean, other than their own egos, why would they be fighting in the extent, in the way that they were? To the extent 
in the way that they were? Uh, I would say it was Malcolm. From my recollection, Malcolm trying to inflict his viewpoint on them and Sam Cooke mostly defending himself while the other two just kind of watched. Um, but yeah. that really boils down to ego. So, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, yeah, it's just it was a whole lot of nothingness for two hours and yeah i got nothing else to add um yeah i i the only other thing i wanted to say is i think this is a terrible representation of sam cook um in terms of how it was written not in terms of i think leslie odom uh, leslie odom jr did a wonderful job um but malcolm's characterizations of sam cook play like someone who has no idea who sam cook is it's very weird um because Sam Cooke, at this point in time, had already been a part of the largest gospel band um, of its era, the Soul Stirrers, for seven years um, before he left to go uh, in, on his solo career. Um, so the fact that they kept making weird points about how Sam Cooke and his incorporation of gospel music, um, it felt very clunky. Um, also, and this is a very minor gripe, but it really bothers me. Um, the song A Change Is Gonna Come was written because Sam Cooke was so ashamed of himself for not having written Bob Dylan's uh, Blowing in the Wind. He was, he was so touched by, by Bob Dylan's Blowing in the Wind, he wanted to write a song about racial justice of his own. Um, that song was fully recorded before this fight. <laughs> Fucking I mean, like, like the, song, the song came out couple days after this night took place like very very soon after um and so the fact it got made such a weird sticking point to the point where malcolm x travels with this record um was just odd and again it didn't have to come about in a confrontational way it's like sam cook could have mentioned this song or, or this conversation around making music around race could have been brought up in a way that wasn't so argumentative where it then relies upon the idea that Sam Cooke makes the song based on the conversations of this night. Um, it could have been brought about in a different, less bending, you know, or slightly tweaking the historical accuracy of the moment type of way. It, it, it just felt very awkward to me. Um, but and that I would also, have been less satisfying of a movie ending. Well, you know, it's still going to end on, on the performance. But the, the, the other thing, and, and again, minor gripes, minor gripes all over the place. I know, I know who I am. Um, I am annoyed that they mentioned Malcolm X's death, but they did not mention Sam Cooke's death. And Sam Cooke died... Less than a year after... This film takes place in 1964. Sam Cooke died in 1964. Yeah, so this is like February, middle middle of February, I think, and he died middle of December. Yeah. I know this because right. I looked him up halfway through the movie. And it would have been fine if they didn't mention uh, Malcolm X's death, but like Sam Cooke's death was also a highly... Not in the same ex uh, way that Malcolm X's was, but it was a very uh, charged death. You know, it, it, he was killed by uh, 
a white man who then saw no repercussions at all. I mean, it was, it was a really big deal. Mm-hmm. So it was weird that they would mention one and not the other. And I can't say I liked that, but I am also a Sam Cooke fan. So I might be biasing myself. Um, I think the premise of a man being murdered in cold blood and there being zero legal repercussions for the man who did it isn't bias. That's just, you know, being a decent human being. Just going to say that, you know, my uh, hard, hot take. Corbin, what's your final rating? Oh, wait, it's my phone. All right, so I'll go final rating review. Um, in, a, in a year full of various conversations about race and in a year full of um, better telling of historical figures, and especially black ones, um, I, I think this falls pretty short. And I, I mean, it's fucking free on Amazon, so there's nothing stopping everybody from watching it um, if you have an Amazon Prime membership. But I also probably wouldn't recommend anyone going out of their way to watch this. So this is a pretty firm two and a half out of five for me. Yeah, I'm giving it a two. I think that's fair. Uh, we'll yeah, talk about the just... nominations it has. At later, but um, uh, going just on the film, the yeah, I'm, I'm with you. All right, so we move over All to right. Mank. Mank. All right, uh, so Mank, another technically 2020 release. Um, it was directed by David Fincher. It was written by Jack Fincher. That is David Fincher's dad. Um, it stars. Uh, Gary Oldman, Amanda Seyfried, and Lily Collins. Uh, it. Oh, do we have an estimated budget? Let's see. Let's find out. I don't see one. And okay, so this time I have an estimated budget of twenty-five million and a box office of one hundred twenty-two thousand. And I don't know where Earth that box office would come from, since this is again a Netflix release. So ignoring that shit all together, um, we have no, no tagline. So, yeah, there's really not much here. This film is nominated for 10 Oscars, uh, which is predictable because this is a black and white movie about movies and about old Hollywood. And if there it's was a so film nominated for double digit awards, I, I know, so predictable. So, the, it, this film is nominated at the, at the Oscars for Best Picture. I'm not going to read all the names just because it will be here forever. Best Picture, Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role, Best Directing, Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Sound, Best Achievement in Production Design, Best Achievement in Music Written for Emotion Pictures, Best Achievement in Makeup and Hairstyling, Best Costume Design, and Best Cinematography. Um, this film is about 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane. Corwin, this is technically your pick, uh, which means you get us started. She... I mean, I, I honestly wasn't too excited about this movie going into it, just because I didn't even know who Herman Mankiewicz was, um, and knowing it was going to essentially be a, a brown-nosing film towards the Academy. Um, I just... it it wasn't something I was necessarily looking forward to the way I was looking forward to 
excuse me, Nomad Land or The Sound of Metal, something like that. Um, and I don't want to say it was a bad movie. I don't think it was a bad movie. But in a very similar vein, I just was not grasped by it in any conceivable way and just found it to be quite a bore. Um, again, I'm sure if you are a movie aficionado and a, a, a movie historian and are familiar with you know the the early days of MGM, Herman Mankiewicz, you know Orson Welles and Citizen Kane, this would be uh you know a very interesting um uh, dramatized uh, wow drama about the you know the story of how this movie came to be but as someone who does love film and has seen Citizen Kane a couple times knows Orson Welles I just I didn't really care about anything that happened in this movie and I it just it was kind of a blot it was just another film that was like okay this was two hours and it's not affecting my opinions towards anything that happened back then it's not a, changing my opinion on citizen kane it's not changing my opinion on anything that's going on now and it's just kind of a uh, okay i watched that for two hours i'm done and i'm uh, that's it for me uh, i'm left unaffected um that being said I, I you know gary oldman of course does a fantastic job like always um visually it is a very very good looking film it's nothing spectacular but in its own way it is a, a very well shot film um i honestly really liked lily collins in it again i'm biased because i i fucking adore lily collins to begin with but regardless it was just kind of a a meh movie josh did i hurt you or can I just not hear you? No, no, no. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Um, yeah, it's fine. Um, I find myself really, really into it in spurts. Like I, yeah, okay. because I love punchy dialogue and quick wit, and I, I am such a fan of listening to two dudes. Um just bullshit in a very uh you know pithy fashion um you must have loved love, trial of the chicago seven then no because i don't think that was well written at all and the dialogue did nothing for me um but and you know and i love this point in time in hollywood i love this movie i thought gary oldman did a great job i thought the guy playing orson wells did a great job i think a lot of basically everyone who acted in this film did a great job and i think there was a lot of interesting on paper bits in the story and yet you're right it just i just didn't cling to it i kept waiting in and out and when i was in i felt very in um but i, I and i i i don't i can't put my finger on me. i i really can't nail it down but i wasn't gripped the two hours and 11 minutes of this film um not continuously and again i just have no idea where that is because i i love citizen kane i found this character to be interesting uh herman mankiewicz i I knew bits of the story so it was cool seeing it kind of fleshed out 
And I also didn't care the whole way through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. Um, so I guess let's get into it. This is, it is an interesting film. It's a story structure. It's nonlinear. It bounces back and forth between present day, which is uh, 1930, 1940. Sorry, 1939, 1940, as um, the script for Citizen Kane is being written by Mankiewicz as he's um, holed up in a... Uh, what technically was it? Hold on. Um, Chateau? Uh, I guess? Uh, something like that. <laughs> Some fucking place where Mankiewicz holed up with an uh, army of liquor. Uh, his sole job being distraction-free writing of Citizen Kane. Meanwhile, it also flashes back in time um, towards the early 1930s and mid-1930s as Mankiewicz navigates his life in Hollywood as a... Uh, again, we're, we're in a point in time in which the studio system is still in full effect, so he's a screenwriter for a production company. Um, so you see some of that kind of, like, fun shit. Um, and mainly, I think it's there to give information as to who Mank is and give eventually some backdrop as to why he ended up writing Citizen Kane by showing you who um, the film is based on, William Randolph Hearst, and how um, how Mank interacted with that man in real life would eventually inform the script. Which, again, is totally cool. And I knew it was based on William uh, Randolph Hearst, and I had no idea that they like, actually knew each other. Um, And that's, but anyway, so that's, that's loosely speaking, the structure of the film in it, it, it goes forward in time in the flashbacks so that you see a bunch of various in relatively interesting and compelling points in Mank's life. I would argue that the flashbacks are infinitely more interesting than the present day shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is only so much drunk and bedridden. Um, Gary Oldman you can take in a given film, especially since they all amount to the same concept, which is, look how much this man drinks and sometimes writes. Um, and I think maybe therein lies the mild monotony that would detach my attention every now and then, but who fucking knows. Um, so, are you, alright, let's start here. Are you a fan of the movie Citizen Kane? Um, I think it's a good movie. I don't think it should be considered the greatest movie of all time. All right, but you but you like the movie. Uh, yeah, I would say I, I it's a good movie. Right. I like it. <laughs> so, were you at, at all interested in? more of that backdrop because it is a very odd point in film history what do you mean by backdrop like the era like what do you mean by the backdrop like the era in which this took place well, like no, the, the it, making of the film no the in, informing of the the story that the film uh, uh, fucking god damn it uh, Citizen Kane eventually tries to tell 
you know, so like seeing William Randolph Hearst and getting an idea of who this guy is and I mean to some extent, sure. Like it 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 wasn't something that was innately disinteresting at the same time. The story of Citizen Kane about, you know, this magnate that is just trapped in his own fears and what have you like that's not something that needs uh you know a cultural connection or you know it doesn't need to show the it doesn't need to be about william randolph hearst to be a good story because it could be about anyone of that level of power connection and and influence um you know i can't say that i've delved into the history of william randolph hearst to begin with so getting that level of insight on what it was really like didn't really move the needle much for me um but again i'm I'm not saying it's it's disinteresting just it doesn't really add much to citizen Kane. all right because and i i i'm i'm just trying to i'm, I'm asking questions a little bit selfishly Kind of pinpoint where my own discontent is, and I haven't decided if the backstory of William Randolph Hearst, or at least in his relation to his own relationship with Herman Mankiewicz, um, is a fun factor or a movie. You know what I mean? Sure. Because I love the idea that um, the main Main character of Citizen Kane is based on a real guy. That's really that's really neat because you know it it it's based on a real person. You can do this to some level of reality in some type of way. Um, the same time, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure that's a that because like you said, that can be anybody. It, it it didn't even need to be a real guy. It's a good movie, even if you don't know it's a real guy. That movie doesn't live or die on the fact that that guy is a real person. Um, mm-hmm. it's interesting seeing the film basically be <laughs> made almost entirely out of spite <laughs> um, because I I didn't know the stuff about like the, the, the actress and apparently they really gave Amanda Seyfried's character in Citizen Kane um, quite short shrift by making her look like such an idiot <laughs> and and bad at her job um, in the film Citizen Kane the Amanda Seyfried character um, is an opera singer, and they make her such a bad opera singer in the film that um, <laughs> that the uh, fucking I forget what William Randolph Hearst's character is in Citizen Kane, but he has to literally build his own fucking opera house because she's so bad she can't get a job anywhere else. <laughs> um, <laughs> and wow, is that fucking different when you realize those are real people? <laughs> <laughs> um, but again, it's like, is that a fun fact or a movie? And I don't know that's because this film, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, and uh, this is what I think it is because all the cool dialogue in the world isn't gonna save you if it's not compelling. And I think I kept finding my because you know what surprised me about this movie is that it wasn't more about Mankiewicz because that's what's weird about it. And I think I'm I think I'm honing in as I talk about this. 
this film is very much so about Citizen Kane. And I was expecting it to be about Mank. And obviously it is about Mank because it is named Mank. The elite character is Mank. All the details of the film pertain directly to Mank's life. But I guess I wasn't expecting it to be so focused, so plot-based on telling the story of how he made Citizen Kane. Because almost every scene is there to inform, at some level, how the script of Citizen Kane came to be. Right? I guess, yeah. At least it seems I don't know. to be I, that way. I feel like I should have rewatched it since watching it for the first time uh, for last week's episode, just to be able to cue in on some of these smaller details here. But... Yeah, I mean it. It's of course through the eyes and you know, uh, the retelling of Mank and and you know his perspective. But yeah, it's not necessarily about him writing the movie as much as it's just him getting inspiration for what this movie's about. Um, and even then, it's it's honestly it's. It's not very clear. It's not very... It's not easy to follow, is what I'm trying to say. Is I, I really struggled with it, mostly because I just did not want to pay that much attention to it. I, I was not drawn in and locked in, so when it was jumping all over the place, it I found it to just be kind of convoluted and just a little all over the place, and I'm sure it would be... A lot of characters. Uh, yeah, a lot of characters with very little explanation of who the fuck these people are, whether or not they matter, the and thing is, if like, they're going to come G. back. Irving G. Thalberg is in this movie, and Irving G. Thalberg was such a monumental part of old Hollywood that there's, I mean, there's an honorary Oscar named after him that we will see administered at the Oscars, the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award. And you don't get any type of sense of how important that dude was to Hollywood would by watching this film you get a sense that he's important to the events taking place but like i mean he was a he was a big he was a big force i mean they named a fucking award after him they don't do that for most people so no i um, i don't have any oscars named after me yeah i i i mean it's uh it's not common <laughs> like and I think that's part to again. There's just so many characters. And this is a very plot-focused film in a lot of ways. Despite the chaos that Corwin is definitely right in, it is there is a lot of just stuff happening. It is also somehow very focused on telling the story or backstory of Citizen Kane. So it's a weird relationship there. Um, but regardless. Um, it, I think some stuff kind of lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um, along with my interest, definitely got lost in the shuffle there. What a bad week for movies for us. Yeah. Granted, two well, weeks, but same like, time. It would be better if I hated one of these movies instead of being so indifferent towards both right 
just because I don't even because I, I, I don't want to sit here and shit on either of these two movies. They're both fine. Not just neither of them are good. Yeah, I I can't remember the last time I had two movies that we both watched and talked about where both of them were just completely indifferent to me. Like if so, if I never saw these movies, I wouldn't care. If I never saw them again, I I really wouldn't care. There's just yeah. All right, so tell me, tell me your final rating and review on Mank. Um, you know, my my, you heard my review. I just talked about it. I I think I'm gonna give it a two and a half. It's a half point bump over the other one, but nothing special. I'm gonna go with the 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 same rationale. I'm gonna give it a, a three. Um. Because I do think that for all of the the or the blanket shortcoming that we both felt with connectivity towards the storytelling, um, the filmmaking in this is still phenomenal. Um, the acting is all very good. Uh, I think the direction is 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 great. I think the cinematography is great. Um, there's a lot of other reasons to like this. It just is tough to fully like this when the story isn't so gripping. So I am going to give this a three. Um, but that's not a ringing endorsement either way. So, all right. So those are the two films for this week. So now we're going to be looking forward towards, uh, our Oscars picks for next week. Um, we'll, we're, even though Corwin and I are collaborating to make sure that we don't pick the same film, we're still going to maintain the concept of Corwin picks one and I pick one because we have a whole order thing going when we do our little reviews and, you know, it's just easier that way. So. For um, my Oscars pick this week, uh, we'll be watching the United States versus Billie Holiday on uh, Hulu. Another mission I'm a huge fan of and own several recordings of that I'm very excited to see uh, this new version of her story. Corbin, what do you got? Isn't that the lead singer of Green Day? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> the famously 1930s uh, black lead singer Green Day. Correct. Uh, I am going with uh, a movie that I've been looking forward to watching for months now. Borat. Subsequent movie film. That one is going to be available on Amazon Prime. Um, it'll be interesting. No, Amazon Prime. Okay. I'll check on Netflix. Yeah. Full disclosure, I have watched this already because I genuinely didn't think it was going to get Oscar nominations. Um, oh. <laughs> so this will actually be a weird second viewing for me. <laughs> but, uh... So I, that, that, I that honestly was... just want to watch it to see if we can get a glimpse of Rudy Giuliani's dick. But, you know, that's for personal reasons. We're only in this for Rudy's cock. The Rudy rocket. That's the only reason we're here. <laughs> Um, yeah, no. maybe. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Yeah, that's right. All right. Red All right. Rocket, We're going to call with that. Red Rocket. Red Rocket. I imagine Trump doing that to Rudy Giuliani in the exact same way fucking, like, six-year-olds do it to dogs. Or 
13 That's how likes it, man. Red Rocket. All right. If Please you, uh, so the picks, we're moving on. I can't, I can't talk about Rudy Joy in this cock anymore. <laughs> the picks for next week, Borat's subsequent movie film, and the United States first Billy Holiday. Luckily, if you subscribe to the services that have the community, you do not anymore. That is always nice. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at Big Screen Juice. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. If you want to follow Corwin on, Hillary, you can, Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin. If you want to email us, you can do so at juicingthebigscreen at gmail.com. And until next week, I'll have a good one. Bye.